Greetings, you fuzzy husbands, and welcome to the Blind Buy Podcast. If you're a brand new listener, and I'm guessing we've got a few brand new listeners because of the podcast last week with the wonderful, lovely Hosier. What a gen- what a gentle, lovely cunt. What a tremendous man. Um, I really enjoyed talking to Hosier. He's a, he's a just a lovely chap. But if you're a new listener, if you're a yank. If you're a yank and you're wondering why I just called Hosey or a cunt, cunt is a term of endearment in Ireland. So that's actually a, a compliment. I wasn't disparaging him. He's a magnificent cunt. But anyway, if you're a brand new listener, I always advise to go back and listen to some previous podcasts, right? We've got hundreds of podcasts. Do we have hundreds of podcasts? We fucking do, man. We're up to about, to about 170 or something. There's loads of podcasts, Okay about psychology, about art, about music. Go on and wander through them. Go back to the start and enjoy some of them rather than starting right now. Okay? If you're if you're one of the regular listeners, lads, if you're someone who's been here always listening, if you're a heaven-sent Kevin, if you're a gasping Francis, then you know the crack. Welcome. You're always welcome. Okay? Um, this week, this week's podcast is actually going to be short. I never, you know, I, I have this feeling of being apologetic because I'm doing a short podcast, but loads of podcasts are like, not a foot, like I, I usually do between an hour and 90 minutes. There's loads of podcasts out there that are like a half an hour long. And so maybe I shouldn't be so apologetic that this week I'm putting out, I'm putting out a short podcast this week because... I've just had an incredibly busy week, lads. Um, kind of, I suppose it's been busy because of preparing for, for what's next year called? It's 2021. It's 2021. That sounds like a weird year to say, isn't it? It doesn't sound like the 2020, I can deal with that, man. I've been thinking about 2020, 2020 vision. When I was in, in leaving, sir, we had a book called 2020 vision. 2021, that's a strange one for me to get my head around, going into 2021. But I've been prepping for 2021 because um, I've been busy this week planning shit for 2021. And this has greatly distracted me. So I don't want to, I don't want to pretend and try and put, do a half arse podcast out of my, out of my arse. You know when I do this fucking podcast... This this is what I'm envious of other Irish podcasts, where the podcast is basically two or three people simply talking about things. Where someone says, have you heard about this? Yes, I did. What did you think of that? Ha ha ha, ha ha ha. And there's your podcast. But I'm I'm a silly boy, and I like to do monologue fucking hot take essays, lads which required days of planning and writing to get them right. So this week, I I just didn't have time. I didn't have the time to fully formulate one, and I don't want to pretend and pull it out of my hole. So you're going to get a little bit of a short podcast this week. But I do have, have... I have tricks up my sleeve for an event like this. I have tricks up my sleeve, and you won't be disappointed. All right? And I'll be I'll be back next week to give you Christmas cuddles. I'll have some Christmas cuddles planned for next week, whatever that is. Mind cuddles. I have a, a festive drink suggestion for you. 
last year I gave you a recipe for mulled wine. Um, make... I had this drink over in Toronto. I'd finished a gig in Toronto. And this, this, this lad was at the gig. He was a fella from Glasgow. And he owned a tea house in Toronto. And he came to us after the gig and said, it was last year, will you come to my tea house for a bit of crack? So we said, yeah. So we all headed to this tea house. It was called the Bampot Tea House, which I think in, in Glasgow means Mad Bastard Tea House. And he gave us this tea, which was basically, we'd call it a chai latte. But it's not like a Starbucks chai latte where you make it out of like a mix. So make yourself chai masala, as it's known. We call it chai tea, but that's ridiculous. If an Indian person heard that, they'd go, why are you calling it tea tea? Because chai means tea in India. Chai masala. Black tea with masala, which is spices. Usually like cardamom, cinnamon, star anise. You can get a chai masala blend. Chai masala tea bag. So make chai tea. I did it. I just did it. I said I wouldn't do it and I did it. Make chai masala tea. I did it again. I just said tea, masala, tea. Make chai masala. Alright? Make it really milky and really sweet with milk and sugar. So you have chai masala that's milky and sweet and then just add a shot of Jameson or bourbon to it. So it's sweet, milky, chai masala with bourbon or Jameson. It's fucking amazing. The way that the whiskey works with the cardamom and the cinnamon... It, it just pops off it pops off and creates a new drink that's a match made in heaven it's like Baileys for a hipster hipster Baileys that's what it is but yeah I've been planning my 2021 because in the industry I'm in everyone's kind of hoping that 2021 will be somewhat normal so I'm going to start writing my new book Um, for me like I'm really looking forward to that alright I'm going to start writing my new book, so I'm planning for that. But I want to be able to leave my house to write, at the very least. I like going to cafes. I like being in public places to write. Trying to write short stories or fiction in my studio is difficult because I just like to look at the, the backs of people's heads. You know, if I'm sitting down with my laptop writing in a cafe... And there's human movement and people to watch. Then I can never have writer's block. Because if I get blocked I'll just. i look at a man's hand and start writing about his hands. And before I know it. I'm, I'm writing. I'm creating. And I've been very busy. But you know what as well lads. A friend, a friend of mine died this week. And. It's just a bit of a shock. You know. And, and it's taken. Like I am, I'm very busy, but also a, fr- a friend died, and it's been a bit of a. Just you know when you're processing, it's just processing, processing, death and the weirdness of processing death. In coronavirus, where I can't go to a funeral, I can't. You know what I mean? It's strange processing death in coronavirus is strange, but someone who I worked with. For years. His name was David Johnson. And it feels strange saying was. David Johnson. uh, Died this week. He was 60. And he is. He's a comedy producer. He's a live. He was a live theatre producer. Okay. 
uh, based in London. And he was a legend, a fucking legend. He was also, he, you know, he looked after Stuart Lee, did a lot of work with Stephen Fry. He, his death is considered like the end of an era in Soho, in the West End in London. He was known as a, as a theatre and comedy producer in Soho and Edinburgh. With a career lasting about 35 years. You know, a real fucking legend. And he died this week and I just found out about it. And I'm just processing that. I'm processing that. And I'm very, very sad over it. And how do I explain the importance of David Johnson? So as you know, most of you who listen to this podcast know that I started my career in the Rubber Bandits, which was music, music, hip-hop, comedy, whatever you want to call it, satire. And 10 years ago, we had a particularly big song called Horse Outside, which changed my fucking career. That, that When Horse Outside happened, it was like, wow, now I can, I'm, I'm in a different league now. I can be a professional entertainer now. This is, this is the moment that if I run with this, I can be a professional entertainer. But you'll also know that I, I don't look back on Horse Outside particularly fondly that period because it was the height of the recession in Ireland, which was a very dark, that was quite fucking dark, right? So we have this huge song. Everyone in Ireland is listening to it. It's massive. It's all over the radio. Um, you can't make money from that. Like, how much? Th- I got paid 250 euros from RTE for doing Horse Outside. 250 euros. 500 in total split between me and Mr. Chrome. RTE didn't, like, monetize the YouTube channel. So Horse Outside has 20 million views. But none of those views monetized into money. So when you have a song back then, the only way you can earn from it is, okay, you got to do a tour, you got to do gigs, right? But, like, it was the recession. And I'm talking bad recession. So it was really hard to do gigs. Like, a lot of the young people were literally gone. They'd left and gone to Australia. Seriously. So when we tried to do our Irish tour of Horse Outside, this would have been 2011. When you're talking going to places like like Mullingar or Leitrim or somewhere like that, trying to trying to earn your money doing as many gigs as possible off the back of having a good song. The young people were gone and the young people that were left didn't really have a lot of money because no one had any jobs because the jobs didn't exist. So the only gigs that we had available, they weren't like rubber bandits gigs where it's like we're in Mullingar on Friday night, pay 15 euro for a ticket to come and see us. It wasn't that. We couldn't do those gigs. The recession was too bad. So the only gigs that were available to us were nightclub tours, right? And that's not crack. I didn't know I was too young. I was way too young. I didn't know. But basically, the gigs that we were doing were you turn up to you turn up to a nightclub. People aren't there to see you. People are there to go to the nightclub. Now, some people might be there to see you, but they're paying their five euros into the nightclub. And it just so happens that on that night, the rubber bandits are there as entertainment. So we were doing all these gigs up and down the country. But the problem with that is 
maybe only 50% of the audience want to see you. So everyone's there in the nightclub in in kind of a shitty mood in general because the recession was so bad. They're enjoying the Rihanna at half 11. Then Rihanna stops and these two pricks from Limerick with bags in their heads come out to sing a song about a horse. And that means that 50% of the audience fucking hate you. So we have to do these gigs where you've got some people going, this is brilliant. But then a lot of people going, get off the stage. Fuck you. Throwing bottles at us. Now, I know you might be thinking, poor blind boy. Poor blind boy in your early 20s. You had to go and do a tour and do loads of gigs. And you're right. You're right. Like, there was a lot of crack as well. And, like, if it wasn't for... If it wasn't for Horse Outside and that tour, I'd have just had to move to Australia with my friends. I'd have moved to Australia or Canada and I'd still be there right now and I'd probably never have gotten to become a professional artist. So I'm fully aware of how brilliant and how lucky I was for that. But I'm also a human being and I'm a human being and and I like it when people like me and I don't like it when people don't like me. So, having to gig three, four times a week where 50% of the audience are, are screaming that they hate you or throwing things at you, that's deeply unpleasant. That's really unpleasant. Over a sustained period of time, that cancels out the fun part. You know what I mean? Because I'm a human. It cancels out the fun part. And it becomes, it becomes traumatic after a while. I, you know, I was waking up in terrors. Because it's like, oh fuck, that that gig last night in Tullamore. Where the person was screaming at us from the front row telling us to get off stage. Enough of that, it sticks with you. And it's deeply unpleasant. And we did a full tour of that. And it was horrible. It was fucking awful. It really wasn't pleasant. It wasn't a pleasant thing to do. And after a lot of that, it also, it has a detrimental effect on... On my self-esteem, it had a bad effect on my self-esteem and it had a bad effect on my ability to create. I didn't want to write songs. I didn't want to do anything like that because it's like, why would I want to create songs when you're doing these gigs where 50% of the audience are throwing things at you? We ended up doing a gig in London. Whatever the fuck it was, we went over because the Irish people had left to go to London. So we went over and did a gig in London. And this man, David Johnson, who was a very, very experienced producer in the West End in London had seen our show and he came up to us afterwards and said, I think what you're doing is fantastic. I want to I want to put you on in Soho Theatre for 30 nights. And we were like, what? You want to put us on for 30 nights in London? Are you fucking mad? And he's like, yeah. I, we're going to do it and I'm going to make sure it sells out. So we were like, well, fuck it, man. We've got literally got nothing to lose. This this business of doing gigs in Ireland where people are throwing bottles at you, anything's got to be better than this. Let's risk it. Not thinking it would sell it, sell anything. And he said, I'm going to take the gig, the gig that you're doing, the gigs, which is us just going up doing songs. We're going to take that and turn that gig into a theatre show. All right? It's not going to be a gig, it's going to be a theatre show. So it's going to have songs, and it's going to have an overall story, and all of this. And he kind of showed us the ropes of how to do it. 
he used his clout and his influence and his brand to get us into Soho Theatre, which was a really fucking cool West End space that we couldn't just walk into. He was just this incredibly kind, generous, lovely person who lost money. That's the thing as well. Like, so we were doing 30 nights in Soho Theatre and we were selling it out. But the thing is, that's really expensive to do. And he was putting us up in really lovely apartments in like Oxford Street and just making sure that more than anything we were having this amazing lovely time and that we were comfortable and we called him Dahi which is the Irish for David and that's the highest that's the highest honour an Irish person can bestow on an English person is to refer to them by their name in Irish he'd be he'd be like taking us into the fucking the Groucho Club which is like this really exclusive, like, famous person club in London. He'd be taking us into the Groucho Club. I'd be there doing shots beside Jude Law. I ended up gate-crashing Harry Styles' 21st birthday. The fuck am I doing at Harry Styles' 21st birthday? You know what I mean? And David Johnson be there sitting back, roaring, laughing, looking at us. And he'd just be picking up the tab every night. Probably two, three hundred quid for us to be getting shit-faced. And just... Just doing it to be sound. Just doing it because he's like, you're artists and I believe in your fucking art and I don't care what this costs. And what what the whole experience did for my, my self-esteem, my confidence, my belief in my work was phenomenal. Was fucking phenomenal. And you don't realise it at the time, but I realise it now looking back. He was losing money from doing it. And he didn't care because he was just like, I think what you're doing is really, really good and I believe in it. And my current agent that I have in the UK, he introduced me to that agent. Also as well, because he was such a sound, lovely person, that then trickles down to everyone who he chooses to have work for him. So his entire team were just these lovely, lovely people. And as well, like... Like th- this is something, again, I, I kind of took for granted at the time, but now looking back, I realise how important it was. He, a huge amount of his team was made up of, of women. And entertainment spaces like theatre and comedy world tend to be very heavily male-dominated. And the spaces, because they're male-dominated, tend to be quite toxic. But under David Johnson's team, like my my tour manager was a woman... My stage manager was a woman. I had this lovely, inclusive space where the festering toxicity that often occurs when it's just a lot of men. Like, I I got to learn, no, that's not normal. Just because that's common, that's not the best way to do things. Your team should be inclusive. It's just so... I'm realising this week how much of where I am right now right in terms of the industry I work in work that I get my confidence my confidence to go over to the UK my fucking BBC series all that stuff how important David Johnson was for giving me tools and skills to navigate my current job and I mightn't be, I mightn't still be doing it if it wasn't for meeting someone like him who truly 
changed my career and taught me things. And like I said too, when I said we were doing those those horse outside gigs in Ireland where you've got an audience that are hostile and I'm not blaming the audience. You're, you're, you're doing these fucking, you're landing in someone's nightclub and they're not there to see you. So what do you expect? Not everyone's going to like you. But in Soho, with those gigs that David Johnson put on, he used his contacts. People were coming to the gigs with curiosity and respect there to see a show. And like, like these London people that were coming to our earlier gigs, like these were artists and journalists and theatre people and actors. Like they weren't coming to like, let's go see these two lads from Ireland with plastic bags in their heads who were singing songs. That's not why they were coming initially. They were coming because... David Johnson has a new show on and it's these two lads from Ireland with plastic bags on their heads and if David Johnson is putting it on then it's good alright and we're going to give it a shot do you know what I mean that's what he did then the work the work then gets better because when you're gigging in a nightclub in Leitrim and 50% of the people don't want you there what you have to do is you have to go for base humour you have to be all piss willy bum fart tits fanny. That's the you have to go base in order to the, the lowest hanging fruit, and that's how you appease people who aren't there to see you. But when it's an audience that are there to see you and they're willing to listen and put in the effort, you don't have to be tits willy bum fart anymore. Then you can do things that are a little bit more challenging or a bit more clever, or you can leave silence, you can leave space. That's where you can. You can do a song like Up The Ra and people are listening for the satire or a song like Spastic Hawk. You know what I mean? And then, for me as a performer then, that's enjoyable because it's like, alright, I'm performing for an audience who genuinely like what I'm doing. Now you've got a feedback loop and that then improves my creativity. Like, like we ended up doing Shakespeare's Globe Theatre under David Johnson. He, he, he set us up, he set us up with those shows, those Soho Theatre shows in about 2013 which did brilliantly. Then he took us up to the fucking Edinburgh Fringe Festival and said, you're going to do this in the Edinburgh Fringe like a theatre show. We came away with an award. Fucking most original comedians at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And then we did Shakespeare's Globe Theatre. We're the first ever entertainment act to gig Shakespeare's Globe Theatre. We did two nights. That was, I think that that was really proud for him. He, um, he framed, he got the poster big poster of Rubber Bandits in Shakespeare's Globe Theatre and had it framed and had it in his hallway. That was some fucking crack. We brought over about nine of our friends, dressed him up as the IRA. We were doing up the ra in Shakespeare's Globe Theatre under candlelight, wax dripping on our bags. He opened up all those doors. He opened up confidence in both of us as performers. And I suppose it's just like I'm fucking sickened that here I am saying this shit on a fucking podcast to someone who who died suddenly. That that's that's it, you know what I mean? Instead of I'm sure I told him he was class many a time, fucking pissed drunk at two in the morning. But ah Jesus Christ, I'd love to just be sitting across from him and saying to him, I'm doing really fucking well right now and I need you to know how important you are in helping me get to that fucking place. And it's it's just a weird feeling when that person is gone, you know, and when they're gone suddenly. And I suppose I've been processing that all week. And 
processing guilt, processing guilt around it because things move so quick quickly with the job I'm in that I, I look back at the 10 years and, and you fail to take stock and look at the people that are really helping you. You know, you just kind of go, oh, it, it's it's going well, ups and downs, and you, you don't go, hold on a second, this person here, this person here didn't have to do this, and they're doing it. You know, and you need to pause, and you need to show gratitude, and show empathy, and chill the fuck out. And for me, what, what, I'm, what I'm now kind of working on and meditating on, and this is a general attitude I have around any any type of bereavement. When a person who's had an impact on you, uh, when when they die, the way to the way for me, like they're gone, David Johnson's gone, but the way for me to give meaning, to give meaning and compassion to the the relationship that we had as working together as friends, the way for me to give that meaning is for me to take the positive things that he did for me, such as giving me a boost up, believing in the work, encouraging, using using his position and influence to help my career. The way I pay respect to that relationship is for me then to try and do that to other artists that I see coming up. If You know, to remind myself... What can I do to help that person? What can I do to boost this person? What? How can I help people? And then that's that's rippling. That's what that's what rippling is. It's just because a person is dead and they're not physically here, their actions and the positive their actions and influence that they have on the people that they knew when they were alive, those people can take those experiences and then apply them to their lives. And then the person never really dies. They ripple on in other people. The positivity ripples on. You know what I mean? And that that's my that, that's my kind of existential view towards any bereavement. Because I'm not an afterlife type of person. You know what I mean? And I don't think David Johnson was an afterlife type of person. But uh, Stuart Lee did a lovely little obituary for him this week. Um where he pointed out that like like David Johnson is He's the last of, of a line of like Soho legends. Like Soho in London is, is a legendary place. That I, I I did a podcast before on the history of it, but it's its place in importance for entertainment internationally is massive. And David Johnson was a huge part of that. And Soho now is physically changing. It's it's not that place anymore. It's just absorbing into that kind of faceless London vibe it's been um, gentrified I suppose you call it corporately gentrified that's what's happened in Soho and Stuart Lee said that David Johnson's passing kind of <clears throat> reflects it reflects that end of an era for Soho you know so that's what I'm processing this week that's what I'm processing this week It's it's a big one and it's hard to I can't go to a funeral. London's on lockdown. Um, for someone like him, he he would have the type of debt that would be, you know, there'd be a big celebration, huge big party, huge big party. That can't happen. 
which is really sad. I can't head over to London and go on a mad one with all all the people that know him. Um, hopefully it will happen when we can. But it's just odd. It's, a, it's, it's, it's an odd feeling that I'm trying to process at home here in Limerick. So in lieu of a big giant hot take this week, in lieu of that, what I'm going to do is, is after the ocarina pause as a little treat I'm gonna I'll play for you a, sh- a short story a short story from my first book The Gospel According to Blind Boy um, I'm gonna play that for you it's a little recording I did first let's have the ocarina pause and then we'll get into the story so he- here's the ocarina this is this is there's gonna be an advert digitally inserted here and I don't want to surprise you Alright, so there's going to be an advert inserted, so I'm going to play my Spanish clay whistle. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, this is an advertisement for better help. I have frequently attended therapy for the past 20 years when I experience anxiety or depression, or when I have difficulty naming and labelling my emotions, identifying my emotions, I often seek the help of a professional therapist to improve my emotional literacy. I've attended therapy in person, and I've attended therapy online. If online therapy is something you might be interested in, give better help a try. It's entirely online, it's convenient, flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you gotta do is fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So give it a go. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash blindboy today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash blindboy. So you would have heard an advert for something there. Um, This podcast is supported by you, the listener, via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. Making this podcast is my full time job. I adore it. I fucking love it. I love every second of making it. I love. I love making it for ye because I know that you appreciate it and you enjoy it. And if you're listening to it, it's because you made a conscious choice to listen to it. It's not like on the radio. I love doing it. But it is my full-time job and it's a lot of work. So this podcast exists because it's funded by the listeners. Right? It's funded by you. It's an independent podcast. Um, so all I'm asking is if you're enjoying the podcast, if you're listening to a lot of the episodes of it, 
just consider paying me for the work that I'm doing. So for four podcasts a month, which is the equivalent of about five hours of content, all I'm looking for is the equivalent of a price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month. That's it. Price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month. And you can pay that at patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. This also gives me full editorial control. I do have the occasional advertiser on the podcast, but I'm not beholden to them. They advertise here on my terms. Ultimately, I can tell them to fuck off. No one tells me what to do. This podcast is funded by the listener for the listener. So go to patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. And if you can afford it, give me the price of a pint or a cup of coffee, please. If you can't afford it, you don't have to. You don't have to. If you can afford it, you are paying for the person who can't afford it to listen. Everyone gets a podcast. I earn a living. Fucking perfect. Fucking perfect. Beautiful model that's based on compassion and soundness. Class. Also, like the podcast. Share it. Word of mouth. We just hit 25 million listens last week. You don't see any fucking blind by podcast billboards. That's all because of word of mouth, lads. So thank you so much for that. Catch me on Twitch three times a week. Three times a week on Twitch. Three times a week on Twitch. Three times a week on... (laughs) I'm on Twitch three times a week. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at about half eight. I'm doing a never-ending live musical to a video game. Last week I was playing Cyberpunk 2077. I think I'm going to have a crack at it again this week. It's very glitchy. It's good crack to make music to. So, you can come online. You can chat to me. You can chat to me online, live, on Twitch. So do that. God bless. Alright. What I am going to show you this week is a special little treat. Because I didn't have time to prepare. I'm going to play... I say play because it's pre-recorded. It's a reading of a short story from my first collection of short stories, The Gospel According to Blind Boy. Alright, and it's a story, it's a short story, but I love it. I really, really enjoy it. I, I enjoy this one. I really, really do. It's good crack. Also, it's it's not just a short story. It's a short story when you read it in the book. Also as well, look, it's Christmas. Uh, consider buying one of my books of short stories, The Gospel According to Blind Boy and Boulevard Wren and other stories. They're two books of short stories, fiction, that I've written over the past three years. And they're available to buy online or in shops. So please consider doing that actually. If you want to get a gift for somebody who listens to this podcast. I have no official merch. So if you see Blind Boy merch out there. That's someone doing counterfeit merch. And I don't receive any money from it. So if you want to buy someone an an authentic uh, present. If they listen to this podcast. Get them uh, one of my books. My two books of short stories. But this short story anyway. It. It's not just a short story here because what I did is I also composed music for it and I read it in This is almost like a like a like a Tom Waits style monologue. That's almost that's how I read this one. It's yes, it's my short story, but I've reimagined it with a, a, a kind of a musical cadence and then I I I made a piece of music underneath it. So it's something new now. I suppose musical prose, sometimes I write short stories as if they're songs, do you know? But the name of it is Riha Corky, which is Irish, Gaeilge, for Kings of Cork. 
All right, so please enjoy. Chapter 10 Riha Karki. We were both staring in the window of the jewellers, looking at the class feather earring. We tossed for it. I won. I bought the feather earring. My ear wasn't pierced, so Kiran did it for me with a Stanley knife and a lighter. We both had our savage denim jackets on. Fuck the world. We looked like Rod Stewart. Rory Gallagher was gigging in a week, and we had something big planned. We were going to poison him, skin him, and then both of us were going to wear his skin on stage. We'd be legends in Cork. We couldn't wait to do it by. He was playing in the Cork Opera House for the big homecoming gig. Rory is some man. We listened to the albums non-stop. Calling card, tattoo, stage struck, top priority, the lot. We worshipped him. We made our own Rory Gallagher patches out of curtain and sewed them into the back of our denim jackets with wire. I'd one I drew myself onto a bit of beige fabric. I drew him with a marker. He'd a fine grin on his face and he was playing a guitar. But instead of strings, it was a few lovely fannies and he was fingering them and they were making musical notes. It was on my shoulder, got me kicked out of the English market. We had it all planned. Kieran has an uncle from Balancholic who's a vet. So he robbed some ferret pies and pellets off him. With our seats bought and all. Up in the balcony, like royalty. Up in the balcony. Letting the hair down and head banging over the edge. The plan was that we'd use a slingshot and fire the ferret poison into Rory's drink during the first song. Then he'd take a sip out of that and start to get pure poisoned. We were roaring our planet each other non-stop, out in public and all. We had a drink we made that was a mix of turpentine and cider. We called it Cockawalla after white dog shit. We'd drink Cockawalla and shout into each other's ears. Down an alley off Panna. I'm skinning Rory Gallagher, Kieran. And then he'd grab me by the cuff of my jacket and scream into my face. I'm poisoning Rory Gallagher with ferrets poison, Philip. And the two of us. And we're wearing him. And playing his guitar. Fucking Philip and Kieran, boy. The two maddest fuckers in Cork City. As soon as Rory played the song Sinner Boy, which was about halfway through the set, everybody would go to the bar. You'd need a pint after that solo. Rory would go off stage to tune up his dobro. He'd always do the first half electric, then the second half acoustic, and then back out with the electric guitar again at the end. Anyway, after Sinner Boy, we'd rush past security. He'd be feeling the effects of the ferret poison at that point. And Kiran would have a hammer with him, and he'd bait that off the faces of the security lads. I'd have Rory in a headlock. Then I'd take out the Stanley and make long cuts from the side of his head, all the way down each side of him. I'd have a pound of salt with me too. You rub the salt in under the skin and it pulls away from the flesh. We'd practiced it on goats and horses up in Blackpool. One night we both skinned the goat, then drank a lot of cockawalla and fucking terrorised everyone up in Patrick Street, dressed as a goat. 
running up off a woman from Mantanati, shoving our goat horns into her arse and making her scream, up and down Panna. I was at the front of the goat, and Kiran was at the back. We were drinking cockawalla under the goat skin. We fucking destroyed Patrick Street by. People were climbing up stop signs, scared for their lives, thinking that there was a mad goat who smelled like cider and turpentine trying to kill them on Panna. A guard came down to try and bait the goat with a truncheon, but then he looked and saw that the goat was wearing four Doc Martens and not the regular goat shoes that they have, hooves by. The guard got pure wide to us when he saw that it was two lads dressed as a goat, so we ran off, jumped into the lee, and we swam for it, and all the blood from the goat skin washed off our denim. Fucking mad langers. We always wore full denim, head to toe, both of us, identical denim so anyway after I'd have Rory skinned I'd peel off the skin and then we'd both climb inside it the whole thing would take 10 minutes no one out in the audience would be wise so we'd step out on the stage of the auditorium and start playing the dobro inside Rory Gallagher everyone cheering clapping head banging I'd control the neck of the guitar and Kieran would handle the strumming we did it before with a horse we skinned a horse in a garage in McCartan Street and then we both climbed inside the skin and marched down to Panna again inside a horse and we both playing blues on one guitar. Everyone on Panna had their jaws around the floor looking at a horse trotting down the road playing blind by Furrow's blues on a guitar. But someone spotted that the horse was wearing Doc Martens again though. They got wide and we were attacked by boys from Toha. We pushed the horse skin off and I fought the boys with the guitar and Kieran had a varnished pine cone that he threw at a fella and it stuck in his eye we ran off bawling Rory Gallagher songs and went up the side of a house after drinking cockawalla I climbed on Kieran's shoulder and I started banging on the first story window of the house and there was a businessman in bed in the nip and I banged on his window and I shouted he's gonna poison Rory Gallagher and I'm going to skin him and we're going to wear him and the man started crying most nights we'd get mad on Kakawala and if we hadn't skinned something we'd jump on each other's backs and joyride around the roads taking turns joyriding each other the guards left us alone they were scared of us we were the kings of Cork then we'd find manholes and jump up and down on them make loads of noise banging our shoes off of every manhole in Cork City we'd climb down chimneys as well we'd climb down chimneys and get our denim covered in soot and then we'd go into the living rooms of houses when people were all asleep and we'd roll around together on the couches and get black soot all over the couches and we'd whisper not so much that it would wake anyone up but we'd whisper at each other we're gonna poison Rory Gellar and we're gonna skin him we're gonna wear his skin at his gig we'd exit through the front window and leave fingerprints everywhere because the sergeant wouldn't dare knock on our door about it and we were best friends and we'd go to a cafe and get a pot of tea and pour boiling hot tea into our mouths and spit it at each other too boiling hot pots of tea by and no one would touch us because they knew well that we were the kings of Cork and any night we could come back to that cafe as a horse with a guitar and it would stay with them in their dreams forever haunting them 
when you're drinking kakawala, you have to keep it down. Enough for the cider and the turpentine to hop off each other so you get a mad buzz. But if you keep it down too long, the turpentine will kill you. So we'd drink warm grace by. We'd turn up at the chipper and the queue would part. They'd see the two of us in our denim and everyone in the chipper would back away out of respect. Gorgeous chipper. Fine fluorescent lights and marble draped on the floors. Posh looking. Then we'd slam our fists on the counter and do out a drumbeat and Enzo Scalacci, who runs the chipper, would give us a tin punnet of warm fat with a ladle and we'd drink from it. The grace would make you puke out the turpentine. So we'd run out into the road and we'd both bend over a bin enough distance so we didn't get any grease sick in our denim and then we'd puke our rings up. We'd roar by. We'd howl and roar like bulls when the puke flew out. It'd rise up from our bellies and we'd roar as loud as we could as it came up and then we'd go jump on manholes with our Doc Martens, mad after Cockawalla, the kings of Cork. A girl tried to break Kieran's heart once, so he shaved his head and buried the hair on Clonakilty Beach, and we fucking hugged each other, and said we'd never let a woman in between the middle of us again. The night we headed to Rory's gig, we were fierce excited. The type of excitement where you'd want to spill all the blood out of your body, just to drain it into a pail, and look at it, swirl it around and get hypnotised, staring into a bucket of your own blood, and shove it back into your body before you faint. That was fucking cues, boy. Up Lavitt's Key, down Emmett Place. Rockers in their leather and patches and the plaid shirts and denims with the long curls falling off their skulls. Crowds parting when they saw us. A crisp night. Type of night you'd drink out of a pint glass. Cool and dry. Where you'd see your breath getting lit up by the lamplight. I'd to tie the laces on my Doc Martens, so Kieran went ahead. As I was looking up, I could see him getting hassle off the bouncers. I fucking pounded up, slamming my docks down on the tarmac, screaming, making as much noise as possible. Do you know who he is, you fool? He's one of the kings of Cork, I said to the bouncer. Do you know who I am? said Kieran. I'm one of the kings of Cork. The bouncer replied in a Jackie in Dublin accent. I don't give a fuck who you are. He's trying to get in here with a hammer. You're barred. We started howling, beating our feet in the ground, spitting up in the sky. We'd come up to Dublin as a horse, boy. We'd run up to Dublin wearing a horse, and you'll regret the day you turned us away. That line would usually put any bouncer in his place, but Rory was obviously bringing his own security with him. Foreign lads, and they'd never heard of us. Didn't matter anyway, because there's a cellar at the back of the opera house, and we could go in through there. So we walked away like cool fuckers and went around the side to Half Moon Street and kicked in the window of that cellar. We both crawled in. It was pitch dark, by. Tangy smell of sour porter. Kiran found a light switch, but it didn't work, though. So we had to feel our way around the walls with our hands until we got a door. No harm. I noticed something on my foot and I went quiet. I reached down and I grabbed like a... It's like a mouse or a rat or something squirming in my fist so I let go Jeez, there, was, there was fucking loads of them running around the floor I could hear them scuttling there's mice in here Kieran pull up your socks over your denims Kieran started panicking he's terrified of mice calm down and pull up your socks I said I haven't pulled up oh Christ oh Christ oh Christ he started 
I can't handle this, boy. I'm not right with this, Philip. Give it another few minutes until we find the door, I said. Calm down. I can't, he said. I heard little patters on the ground. Kieran was throwing the ferret pies and pellets on the floor to try and kill the mice. You stupid fucker. How are we supposed to shoot them into Rory Gallagher's drink? You've given them all to the mice. I'm sorry, Philip, I can't handle this. I was fucking furious with the cunt. The bouncer had already confiscated the hammer, and now this meant I'd have to skin Rory while he was able-bodied, and he's a big fucker. I hadn't planned for a struggle. I was pure annoyed. I reached down at my hand, and I searched for Kieran's ankle and gave it a pinch so he'd think it was a mouse. He let out a mighty yelp. But in the meantime, I'd found the door and let the light in. And Kieran's on the floor, with blood pouring out of his gob and his snaz. He'd gotten such a fright from the pinch that his knee came up and met his face. And he busted his own nose wide open. So I started laughing like a lunatic. Like I couldn't stop. I'd never seen anything funnier in my life. There's one thing that Kieran hates more than mice. It's being laughed at. So then he rose up. He grabbed my denim collar. He launched his teeth into my nose. He started biting down. He could pull in, like, really pulling as hard as he could, like. Didn't let go. Shluck, that's the reason of the hole in my face, sir. I know you would be wondering. Myself and Kieran haven't spoken in over 30 years since that night. So tell me about yourself, anyway. How are you finding Cork? Have you heard of Rory Gallagher in the Philippines? She's sure a fine-looking woman for your age. Is this your first night at speed dating? enjoyed that that was that was my short story the uh, Reha Corky the Kings of Cork um I haven't actually I haven't read that story in well over a fucking year because it's on my first book you know but it's mad there just just listening back to it because when I'm writing a story like that I, d- I don't know what it's I don't know what it's about I'm in a state of flow but obviously things are going to be influenced by my unconscious mind and my experiences and what I was saying at the start of the podcast about going over to Soho and gigging places like the Shakespeare's Globe Theatre and kind of feeling a bit of imposter syndrome I think there's an element there's an element of that anxiety the anxiety there I think was catharsized and channeled into that story which is essentially about two fucking lads not feeling entitled to be in the auditorium on the stage and the only way they can imagine doing it is skinning Rory Gallagher and climbing inside his body I would imagine I would imagine that anxiety which sure fuck it yeah I'm a performer some of that anxiety channeled itself into that story and found its way out in that 
via that medium and vehicle, via the skin, the body of Rory Gallagher, somehow. There you go. Look, sure, what's a fucking story on your waking dream? I'll talk to you next week. Alright, I'll have some, uh, some, some head cuddles for you. Be sound, rub a dog, rub a cat. Rest in peace, David Johnson. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. Mm. 